1: at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void or prohibited by law. 18-plus. Terms and conditions apply.
0: It's time to play like a Jet
1: with your host, Scott Mason. Play like a Jet. What does that mean? Drops the throw. Steps up. Floats a bomb up the right seam. Looking for Anderson. He's got it! They're not going to catch him. He's going to go the distance. Touchdown! Sam Darnold dials it up to Robbie Anderson. 92 yards! Too much and
0: Bell into the middle of that line and it's a touchdown big return for crowder 85 yards Passed road. there was contact with a quarterback and it's incomplete they got pressure on prescott it was adams
1: who came blitzing in he hit immediately he got the handoff you know and, that's <laughs> the Q-inator. oh my gosh hey, Adam, listen
3: thank you From the TOJ Digital Studios, this is Play Like a Jet, my name is Scott Mason, you can follow me on Twitter at PlayLikeAJet1, and I am joined for midweek with Manish, by the beat reporter from the New York Daily News, covering the New York Jets, Mr. Manish Mehta. Manish, how's it going, brother?
2: I'm doing well, Scott. I'm trying to to wind down, but you know, it's a 24-7, 365 now, covering the NFL.
3: Certainly is there's always something going on whether it's the playoffs whether it's some player doing something off the field whether it's draft analysis free agency there's always something going on but what's going to be going on on this show over the next couple of weeks is we're going to do a fun series because it's the offseason Manish and I thought it would be fun to tell some stories from the past so we're going to go through the Rex Ryan era. And We're going to talk about the high points. We're not going to go game to game or anything like that. That's what we do on the other series. Now, As you know, in the Rex Ryan era, we've got three of the seasons fully covered. We have 2009, as told by Thomas Jones. That's in our archives. We have 2011, as told by Nicholas Dowadoff, the author of Collision Low Crossers. And 2012, as told by Mike DeVito, as time goes on, we are going to be able to fill in the blanks for those other three seasons, but this is more meant to talk about the highs and lows and the big news stories and the major occurrences. It's not a game-to-game chronicle or anything like that. So we're going to talk about some of the moments that you remember, some of them that you may have forgotten by now. And then Manish has a ton of cool stories that you may have never heard before that you're going to get a chance to experience on this series. So Manish, let's start with how Rex Ryan first came in here. And before we get to Rex Ryan, let's talk about his predecessor, Eric Mangini. The general consensus at the time was that Mangini was fired because the Jets kind of collapsed at the end and missed the playoffs When at one point they were 8-3 and three And everybody thought they had a really good chance to make it to the Super Bowl Especially since that year Tom Brady had gotten hurt in the first game of the season And it looked like the way was paved But unfortunately Brett Favre hurt himself, didn't tell anybody But maybe Favre wouldn't have been hurt Or he could have recovered more easily If he had tried the natural breakthrough pain relief solution Cryo-free CBD roll-on developed by Omax Health The best part is it's 100% natural, CBD powered, and it works like magic within 10 minutes of application and relief lasts up to eight hours, much longer than any of the -the over-the-counter products you can possibly find. And if you want to try it out, which I highly recommend because I use it myself since I run a lot and I get a lot of pain in my joints and my back and my neck, I've got a special offer for you as a listener of Play Like a Jet. All you've got to do is is go over to omaxhealth.com. That's O-M-A-X health.com. Use the promo code OVERTIME, and you'll get yourself 20% off a full bottle of CryoFreeze CBD pain relief roll-on and free shipping. And even better, that promo code is good for a discount on 20% off anything site-wide. So go check it out. Pro athletes use it, and so do I, so you know it works. Cryo-free CBD roll-on from Omax Health. Go to omaxhealth.com today. Enter the promo code OVERTIME. Get yourself up to 20% off plus free shipping and get rid of that nagging muscle and joint pain Today, which perhaps if Brett Favre had done in 2008, then it would have been different down the stretch when the Jets completely stumbled, finished nine and seven, missed the playoffs, and then afterwards it was said that owner Woody Johnson went around to a bunch of the players, asked them what they thought. Seemed like Mangini had lost the team, and that is what led to the firing of Mangini. Is that more or less how you understand it?
2: Well, it, it's it's complicated because it's rare when you see a coach fired after uh, a winning season, even if they missed the playoffs. Obviously, it's not unprecedented, but uh, it is unusual. Uh, I think the big sticking point uh, was that Eric Mangini was not only secretive, uh, you know, outwardly. uh, You know, he he wasn't overly forthgiving, you know, coming from the Belichick school, but he was very secretive inside the building, and specifically, he was very secretive around the owner, and I think that is what, uh, you know, rubbed, woody johnson the wrong way you know it's one thing to keep things close to the vest uh, publicly not say much in press conferences and things of that nature it's another when uh, you know you kind of insulate yourself from the owner and and i know that you know, woody has always felt this way uh, you know, he wants to be included he's not a jimmy haslam in that uh, he doesn't need to be given the game plan every week he doesn't need to be involved to that level but he does want to get a sense of what the head coach is thinking uh, about players, about the season, just about things generally speaking. He does not want the head coach to keep things from him, and that is a fair expectation, I think, from any owner. And he did not get that with uh, Eric Mangini. So even though they did finish nine and seven, and yeah, they you know they collapsed collapsed down the stretch because of uh, Brett Favre's uh, injury that he didn't. You know, disclosed or just didn't disclose the exact nature of. But I don't think any of that would have mattered. They they would have finished nine and seven, and Eric Mangini would have been back if he just uh, handled himself differently with Woody Johnson. And, you know, the last thing Woody needs or, or needed at that time was to be kept uh, you know, in the dark about some things, and he didn't appreciate that. And again, I I completely agree with him uh, in, in that respect. So that's why he parted ways and. And that was part of the, you know, just to spin it forward, I know we'll get into more details, but just to spin it forward really quickly, that was one of the things he loved about Rex. Rex always kept him in the loop. Uh, obviously Rex is a very engaging person publicly, privately. And, uh, again, it's not as if Woody Johnson wanted the nitty-gritty details of uh, you know, what uh, Rex Ryan was doing to prepare for the Bills or the Dolphins or the Jets, I mean, or the, uh, or the Patriots you know, week in and week out. He didn't need any of that. He didn't want any of that. But he did want to feel included, uh, as he should, because he's signing the checks, right? So, uh, so that's what uh, you know. That was probably Eric Mangini's biggest shortcoming, and uh, and that was one of uh, Rex Ryan's strengths. So uh, you know, one of those interesting stories <clears throat> after, excuse me, after uh, Mangini was fired, was that it was particularly difficult for Mike Tannenbaum to fire him. Uh, they'd been friends for a very long time. Uh, that you know, they remain close, I believe, to this day. But uh, the day that Mangini was fired, and you know, you know, Woody Johnson and Eric uh, and uh, Mike Tannenbaum you know, broke the news to him, uh, that night I believe, uh, or maybe the next night, uh, one, one of the two, you know, it was shortly after he was fired, Mike Tannenbaum went to Eric Mangini's house, which I believe was in the same neighborhood, and uh, you know, had a big bottle of wine, and <laughs> they kind of like commiserated and shared stories because it was a painful thing for, for Mike Tannenbaum to, to fire his friend. Uh, you know it's a business and it's a bottom line business of course and ultimately you know Mike Tannenbaum was going to do whatever his boss wanted to do and he was going to be on board with that but uh, you know there is a human element to that and you know say what you want about Eric Mangini I think you've seen uh, over the last decade that Eric Mangini does actually have personality you know he isn't the the, the person that he presented himself as publicly when he was the head coach of the Jets Uh, he is you know an affable guy I don't know him personally uh, but based on people, uh, who have been friends with him, uh, not just Mike Tannenbaum, but, you know, people who have known him throughout the years, and based on what you've seen really publicly from him, you know, since he got out of coaching, uh, and he does have personality, and, and it was very difficult for Tannenbaum. So those, those guys spent the night at, uh, you know, I, I think it was Manjani's house, but he, I, both of those guys lived, uh, in the same neighborhood, I believe, and they just kind of, you know, talked about, you know, some of the good times that they had in their short time together with the Jets, uh, but, uh, but, yeah, I, the, you know, the main reason was that Mangini you know, did not keep the owner uh, in the loop. And, you know, that's a, that's a lesson learned uh, from, not only for Mangini but for any prospective head coach. Uh, you you got to, you know, make sure that uh, you and the owner have an open book, you know, an open-door policy. Uh, you know, if the owner wants to know something, you tell them. Uh, but, again, it's not as if what he wanted to know day-to-day everything that was going on. He just wanted to feel a part of the action, if you will, And uh, Mangini didn't afford that opportunity to him.
3: The perception with Mangini was always that he was trying a little too hard to be like Bill Belichick.
2: Yeah, I think that's a trap that some of Belichick's former coaches fell into. I I don't think he was alone in that. I think, frankly, Josh McDaniels fell into that trap when he was a very young head coach in Denver. Uh, You know, I think certain guys, you know, retain their personality, you know, whether it was you know, Romeo Cornell, uh, you know, guys like that, the older guys, I don't think they tried to be Belichick, but, uh, you know, I, it, it's a, it, it's an easy trap to fall into only because Belichick has had so much success doing it that particular way. But I think if you're not true to who you are, you know, if you are really like that, then sure, be like that. And if you fail, you fail. If you succeed, you succeed. But, uh, I don't think it makes much sense to pretend to be someone that you're not, uh, If you're an affable guy, you should be an affable guy. I mean, just look at Mike Vrabel. You know, I know he didn't coach with Belichick, but he played for Belichick. He's a much different personality than Bill does. Uh, You know, Bill O'Brien retains some of those uh, secretive elements, but uh, he's got a fiery personality, which is different than Belichick, and you see that from time to time. And that's why it'll be fun to see, frankly, what we get out of Joe Judge, because he does not strike me as a guy who is uh, ultra secretive uh, I don't know if he's gonna be you know uh, anywhere close to Rex Ryan uh, but in terms of you know divulging information and uh, being gregarious and, and all of that but I think he's his own man. so I think the, you know they they're, they're, the, the guys who have been hired more recently from the Belichick tree are trying to you know retain their own personality whereas you know earlier you know a decade or so back you saw guys try to mimic Belichick and again, that can work if that's who you are, but if that's not who you really are, uh, I, I don't, I think you're doomed to fail. And I, I don't believe that, uh, Eric Mangini was ever truly like that. He just, you know, tried to be like that, if that makes sense.
3: We're going to get into the actual coaching search in just a second, but first, a lot of people may have forgotten that before the Jets really got into the pool of candidates, they took a major home run swing, taking a run at Bill Cowher, trying to tempt him into coming to the Jets by offering him the opportunity to not only be the head coach, but also to more or less... Have personnel control, he would be able to put his own people around him. Mike Tannenbaum was still the general manager, so I'm not entirely sure how that dynamic would have worked. What do you remember about this?
2: Yeah, I remember Woody being uh, infatuated with uh, Bill Cower. Uh, you know, my understanding, and you know, my memory is a little fuzzy on this, but I remember thinking that Cower was either out of the country during the search. Uh, or he was headed out of the country. There, were, there was some kind of scheduling issue there. Uh, but we've seen you know, similar things from Woody subsequently because he went for the, the big fish, if you will, in Jim Harbaugh, took a couple swings at Jim Harbaugh as well uh, over the past decade, and you know, that you know, obviously hasn't uh, come to fruition. But uh, Bill Cowher you know, it's an easy guy to, to target because of his success, his visibility. I think, in hindsight, the Jets made the, the right move. I, I don't you know, necessarily subscribe to the notion that just because you've got a, a big resume, the first time around, uh, me, I don't think that guarantees anything in your second head coaching stint. And, you know, typically it doesn't. You know, most head coaches, successful head coaches, uh, for one franchise, they go to another franchise and they're not successful. Uh, you know, it, obviously it's not a, it's not 100%. Uh, there's guys who have been successful at two different places, but by and large you know, that, that's, uh, you know, again, that's an easy trap as well to fall into. So I always say that, you know, I have no problem hiring uh, coordinators, hiring quote-unquote unknown people because the the guys who become successful, they were unknown at one time. Uh, Andy Reid was an unknown uh, uh, commodity when the Eagles hired him, uh, unknown to a certain extent. He hadn't accomplished anything. He hadn't been a head coach on any level, uh, you know, at the, at the NFL level. Uh, so these guys need an opportunity, and so i'm I'm much more of the school of thought of let you know give a guy an opportunity if uh if you believe that uh, you know he can lead your team as opposed to looking on a piece of paper and saying, "Hey, this guy has x amount of playoff wins on his resume, he won a super Bowl uh, you know, it's It's very similar to be quite honest to, with you, Scott, uh, how I felt about the Mike McCarthy dynamic during this uh, past off season during the hiring cycle. I know. You know, clearly McCarthy was the most accomplished person that the Jets could have hired. But uh, I didn't believe that, uh, you know, he would succeed the second time around with, uh, you know, a new team. I'll be very interested to see what happens in Dallas, of course, now. But, but yeah, he? you know, he, he wanted to hire Cowher because, again, he, he knows Cowher uh, in terms of name recognition. And I think anyone who's around football knows Bill Cowher. But uh, I, I believe there was some kind of scheduling issue, some kind of issue about him being out of the country. You know, details escape me, but, uh, but I think it's safe to say, you know, even though Rex Ryan didn't win a Super Bowl, that Woody Johnson was exceedingly pleased by going with Rex, uh, not only because of the, the great success he had those first two seasons, but just uh, you know, uh, lifting the Jets' brand, making them uh, relevant again, making them really the talk of the NFL for a short amount of time as well. Uh, I don't think that uh, I don't think that Woody Johnson regretted his decision at all.
3: Bill we're in the news again, of course, for getting into the Hall of Fame. So that would have been interesting to see how his legacy may have been bolstered or hurt by becoming the head coach of the New York Jets. But it didn't happen. Instead, the Jets ran a pretty standard coaching search. They had two in-house candidates, Brian Schottenheimer and Bill Callahan. Then outside of them, you had Indianapolis Colts defensive coordinator Ron Meeks, Giants defensive coordinator Steve Spagnuolo, BC head coach Jeff Jagosinski, and that was a really interesting story, Manish because Jagosinski ended up getting fired just for accepting that interview, which was a stunner. And then, of course, Rex Ryan. So let's talk about this. What do you remember about this pool of candidates, specifically the internal ones, because Schottenheimer and Callahan were given an opportunity to interview for the head coaching job, too.
2: Callahan is an interesting guy only because he's so well-respected. He has been so well-respected as an offensive line coach for such a long period of time. Uh, You know, he obviously... Was the head coach uh, for the Raiders and went to the Super Bowl with Rich Gannon that season. Uh, ultimately, uh, got trounced, I believe, by Tampa. I don't remember the final score. But uh, uh, yeah, he was a respected guy. Uh, you know, Brian Schottenheimer, such an interesting career arc because uh, he was the quote unquote hot coordinator for, you know, a long time, uh, a long time ago, I should say. Uh, he had interest from the Dolphins, I believe, the Bills back in 2008. Uh, I think he was in his early 30s, I want to say. So it would not have surprised me. Uh, you know, I, don't, I don't remember exactly what the feeling was uh, from Mike Tannenbaum or Woody Johnson, but it would not have surprised me if they hired uh, Brian Schottenheimer. Because, again, he, you know, he had been a coveted guy at that point, and uh, they had not hired a, an offensive-minded guy for quite some time, uh, even back then. Uh, but typically, you know, when you fire the head coach, even if there are qualified candidates, uh, in-house, you you don't go with them. Uh, you'll interview them. Uh, I don't want to say out of courtesy, but probably, you know, you're doing your due diligence. Maybe somebody blows you away. But, uh, yeah, so those guys I don't think, you know, my gut tells me because I don't remember, to be honest with you, uh, that those those guys didn't truly have an opportunity. Uh, I always thought that it was Rex. I just remember that's my memory of this is that uh, when Carol was not a realistic option, you know, Rex who had done such a great job with the Ravens he had been with that organization for a decade he'd been the coordinator for some years and their defense had always been a top five top six type of uh, unit uh, you know he obviously had the pedigree from a family standpoint with his father buddy uh, being very successful uh, you know on the defensive side of the ball so I always kind of felt that it was Rex and I think it was a fate accompli uh, even before uh, the Ravens played the the Steelers in the playoff game at the sense at that point was that all, all signs were pointing to Rex being the next head coach. So I don't believe that there's any kind of, you know, big surprises. Uh, you know, the BC coach is an interesting, uh, it was an interesting storyline that kind of got swept under the rug yeah, he did, uh, interview with the jets, uh, after the, the BC, uh, athletic director basically said that you, know, you would be fired if, uh, if you, uh, if you if you uh, interview with the Jets, uh, that uh, in just in the in the, this is a small world category that uh, uh, athletic director at BC was Gene Filippo. and Gene Filippo's son is John Filippo, mm. who uh, actually just got fired by the Jaguars. He was their offensive coordinator, if you remember, a couple years ago. He was the Vikings' offensive coordinator. He'd actually been in this in the mix uh, loosely for the Jets' job. Uh, Jets OC job a couple years ago so uh, yeah you know it's unusual and I'm sure it's happened but I can't remember an instance where a college coach gets fired uh, for interviewing for a head coaching job Uh, I know he was pretty early in his tenure uh, as the BC coach and you know perhaps had something to do with it but uh, yeah he obviously didn't have a real opportunity to be the next head coach so I thought that you know all signs are pointing toward Rex uh, pretty quickly after it became clear that, you know, Bill Carroll wasn't going to, you know, be the next head coach, and so I don't necessarily believe that there was a lot of drama, uh, at all. To, to be honest, I, I know that there were people in the building that liked Steve Spagnolo, but again, I, I think you know, Rex's success with the Ravens uh, and uh, his personality, frankly, I and mean, he did a terrific job at the interview. They interviewed at a, I believe, at a. Like a like a ballroom or a hotel room uh, at an airport or conference room, I guess I should say at an airport uh, in, in the Baltimore area, and uh, it was during that period where you know assistant coaches of teams that are still in the playoffs, uh, you know, have that window to interview. Rex also interviewed for the Rams job, and uh, it was a very impressive interview. It's it's frankly. Hard not to be impressed by Rex, uh, just because of his personality. He's such an engaging guy, and he's he's a smart guy. So uh, when you couple you know those two traits, uh, a guy with a high football IQ and a guy with an engaging personality, he's going to be very good in the interview process. And uh, you know, I remember uh, talking to Woody and to to Mike T, uh, you know, after the fact, and, and those guys were just talking about how you know, how prepared he was and just just how comfortable and, and loose he made everybody feel. The Jets also had a couple other guys from their front office, Joey Klinksgaels and I believe Scott Cohen. I think those four guys were in the interview with Rex. And uh, you know, anyone who's been around Rex knows that you know, he can he can make things very comfortable very fast. Even if you've never met him, it's just uh, you know one of the gifts that he has. He's a people person. It's one of the reasons why you know he, the players loved him. Frankly, he was good at connecting with players, uh, both individually and as a group, galvanizing people. And uh, you know, I, I could certainly imagine and envision you know that interview uh, going so well. And uh, you know, I remember talking to Tannebaum years later about that. And uh, I, it, it, I mean, maybe maybe it was just after the fact, you know, reasoning. But uh, I remember him telling me that you know, they came out of that interview, and they, they pretty much all knew that Rex was going to be their guy. Uh, and, and again, it's one thing to be good in an interview. I think a lot of guys can kind of fake an interview, if you will. But uh, when you are engaging and it's abundantly clear that you know what you're talking about and you have a solid plan and, uh, and you obviously also have a resume to back up your success, uh, you know that's, that's a difficult thing to turn away from. So uh, again, I don't think there were any really big surprises. The big question you know, from the Jets' perspective probably was, you know, was he, was he going to take the job or you know, take another opportunity? Because from their point of view, you know, Rex Ryan seemed to make the most sense and was the clear choice.
3: Interesting thing about Rex Ryan is in 2008, Brian Billick was fired as head coach of the Ravens, and at first they offered the job to Jason Garrett, who turned it down, and instead of going with Rex Ryan, who had been very successful, as you said, Manish, and been one of Billick's key lieutenants, They decided to go outside and go for a little-known special teams coordinator who was best known for being the brother of Jim Harbaugh, that, of course, John Harbaugh. That worked out pretty well. As you said, Ravens went to the AFC Championship game in Harbaugh's very first year As their head coach and that's something that as we are going to talk about later obviously Rex Ryan did as well in his first year as head coach of the Jets but at that point it seemed like Rex Ryan was destined for a head coaching job of some sort he ends up with the Jets and it sounds like a lot of what landed him the job Manish was the fact that in many ways in addition to his resume accomplishments he was the polar opposite of Eric Mangini.
2: Yeah, absolutely, and that plays a part, and that's typical for for NFL teams. You hire somebody who you think is you know different uh, in in stark ways than the guy you just fired. Uh, I believe that the Giants feel that way with Joe Judge uh, and Pat Shermer. But I, I, I'm glad you brought up the the John Harbaugh hire the year the year before because I know that that was very disappointing for Rex. Uh, you know that's something that he had talked to me uh, privately about, I'm sure he's talked to others as well. He really wanted that job uh, because, again, he invested so much time in that organization. He brought so much success to the defensive side of the ball for that franchise. And, uh, you know, it hurt him. I think he was very honest. Uh, And, again, maybe he spoke about this publicly. I, I don't remember. But I remember he and I having conversations about that. And he did not make any bones about it. He was finding success with the Jets. He was very, obviously, very happy being the Jets head coach, but uh, he was also honest in that you know, he wanted that Raven job and it meant a lot to him. And uh, I, I believe that he felt that, and I don't know if this was ever expressed to him uh, explicitly. I, I don't believe it was, but I think he felt that you know, just because of the way he looked. And it's unfortunate that you know, in this day and age that that that's even a consideration. But just the way he looked, you know, you know, he wasn't, you know, I, I was obviously overweight. He, you know, not something he ever shied away from, uh, but, uh, you know, he was loud, maybe did not look the part of uh, a head coach or a CEO uh, of a franchise. I, I think, uh, in fact, I know that he felt that that may have played a, a role in him not getting that job. Uh, and, again, I don't believe that the Ravens uh, or, or Bashadi ever told him that, but I think that was always his impression, and, uh, you know, that's always unfortunate. So, I, you know, I, do, I give credit to Woody to Mike T about uh, you know not being concerned about any of that stuff uh, you know from a health perspective I'm very happy that uh, that Rex uh, you know got the surgery to, to get healthier and I, and I wish that uh, you know he would keep up with that you know, just from a personal standpoint and, and, a, and a health perspective but I, I do believe that you know, Rex kind of felt back then that just you know his, his appearance was a, a factor I'm not saying it was the number one factor uh, I don't even think he believes it was the number one factor, but I think he always felt that that was a factor in him not getting opportunities in the past, uh, not only with the Ravens, but, you know, other opportunities that probably should have come, to be honest with you, prior to 2009. Um, uh, so, I, you know, I, I do applaud Woody for not worrying about any of that kind of stuff and uh, and really, you know, being sold on the football man and, uh, you know, the fact that he thought that this football guy – uh, had the leadership traits to to be inclusive, and you know you're talking about going in the polar opposite direction of Eric Mangini. I think that that was the the starkest difference between the two men uh, is that one one was a leader who was inclusive, and one was a guy who was kind of in his uh, you know in his own bunker. And, and ultimately, that's you know what sealed Eric Mangini's fate with the Jets.
0: I'm Alex Rodriguez, and I'm Jason Kelly from Bloomberg. This is the deal.
1: No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.
3: Play like a Jet. Play like a Jet. Manish, let's talk about the introductory press conference because this is something that will always be remembered by Jets fans. And quite frankly, this is the type of thing that people will tell their kids and their grandkids about because we hadn't seen anything like it. And I'm not sure that we ever will again here with the Jets. Rex Ryan comes in here with all the bravado of Joe Namath talking about how this team is going to go meet the president at some point, essentially guaranteeing a Super Bowl during his tenure, talking about how he didn't come here to kiss Bill Belichick's rings. And his message to the league was, the Jets are coming, look out. Manish, there's that saying about owning the press conference. Rex Ryan didn't just own the press conference. Rex Ryan owned the press conference in a way that I don't know that I've ever seen a coach own a press conference, and I haven't seen a coach own a press conference like this since. Matt Rule did a great job with Carolina in his introductory press conference, but it paled in comparison to what Rex did in this introductory press conference.
2: It was uh, one of the more memorable ones, uh, for sure, uh, if not the most memorable one in the NFL uh, you know in in a very long time in a good way there have been as Jet fans know there have been notorious introductory (laughs) press conferences but that's you know for a different time I thought that Rex hit the right chord now I was not at that press conference I watched it uh, on TV and obviously that uh, you know that moment has been discussed among Jet fans uh, for a very long time I I thought he said the exact right thing at the exact right moment in the history of the franchise. Uh, They needed somebody to come in there and say, Hey, look, we're not going to be pushed around. We're not going to be bullied. Uh, You know, we're going to be tough. And and there's a saying that Rex, uh, you know, has used throughout the years. Uh, You know, he used it in Buffalo. Uh, I think even on television now, when he talks about, you know, tough teams, you know he uses it, which is you know you you can take a swipe at one of our guys, but if you do, we're gonna take have two guys take a swipe at you know one of your guys, and it's just a mindset that uh, you know yes you know we haven't won in a long time, and it's been a very long time since we won a Super Bowl, but uh, that doesn't mean that uh, we're gonna try to you know not uh, you know take over the division, take over the league. Uh, it's a bold. Uh, Strategy and ultimately the strategy that did not work out for Rex because he never did actually go to the White House as a Super Bowl champion with the Jets. But I, but I just think infusing that confidence uh, into his players, into the people in that building, and into the fan base was essential. And it's, it's part of the reason why people loved Rex uh, right from the jump. It's part of the reason why they believed in him. It's part of the reason why they believed in the team. Now, ultimately, wins and losses are going to tell the story. And those wins, you know, they came in 2009 and 2010. And they came very close to getting to the Super Bowl uh, each year. But I, I thought laying that foundation was critical for this franchise You know, at that moment in time. Uh, they didn't need a, a quiet guy. They didn't need a passive guy. You know, they needed someone to you know, to, to be aggressive and, uh, to be cocky, frankly, you know, I mean, I, I look, I, I love Rex. I I've made no bones about that. I, you know, through the years you know, he and I have kept in touch and, uh, you know, despite the, the ups and downs and we will, I'm sure we'll talk about, you know, that uh, as well, uh, you know, throughout the, you know, throughout the podcast, but, uh, you know, throughout all of the ups and downs, I've always had such a great amount of respect for Rex because I think that everything he said, and everything he did came from, like, such a good place. It's, you know, you talk about, you know, this being such a, you know, a power-driven league. There's so many egos involved. And the thing about Rex that was so, uh, I don't know, just so, so enticing and so appealing to so many different types of people was that he always wanted to, uh, you know, he, he was a people pleaser. You, you know, he always wanted to make you happy, whether that meant a player, a coach, front office, owner, uh, reporter, you know, fan on the street. Uh, I think everything came from a really genuine place, and and that is hard to find, frankly. You know, I, I've covered the NFL for, you know, 15 years. I've covered pro sports for over 20 years. I've dealt with a million different types of coaches, head coaches, assistant coaches, uh, you know, front office people, owners. I, I've never come across someone quite like Rex. A, a guy who gen he's, he's a genuine as you get now look i, I think there's a you know <laughs> there's a little bit of salesman in him i uh, you know i think that's pretty obvious if if you're around rex but everything came from a really good place and i think that that this franchise needed that type of person to to lead them in 2009 uh, and the fact that he backed it up uh, on the field those first two years made it you know that that much better uh and then when we get to the 2011 season uh, we, we'll, we'll talk about that That was a very interesting season uh, Because I mean they were really positioned Really well to, to go to three Straight playoffs and, and it did happen but uh, You know Acting the way he did using the Words and the language and the attitude That he had in that press conference Was something that I think The Jets fans should cherish for a long time Because I don't know if you're ever going to see something like that again And you know Rex detractors can say It's a bunch of hot air I don't believe that at all because I think everything he said in that press conference is, is what he genuinely felt. And, uh, you know, in this day and age, you don't get, you know, an authenticity like that from a head coach very often. So, uh, you know, I, I was appreciative of uh, him taking that approach. I know Woody Johnson loved it. Uh, Mike Tannenbaum, typically, a, you know, a buttoned-up guy. Uh, he, he even got kind of swept up, you know, in that moment as well. So uh, he, hit, he hit every right chord. I think even though they didn't win the Super Bowl, I don't think that should detract from that moment. Uh, you know, that's a moment that everyone who is a Jets fan, when they think fondly, of, you know, about their team, they immediately go back to two thousand and nine because that's the last time they had success, and they'll invariably mention that press conference, and and that's a good thing. You know, whether whether or not they won the Super Bowl and or and finished the deal, uh, you know, ultimately doesn't really matter because that was a good moment for fans. Uh, it was a good memory for fans. And Jet fans, Scott, as you know, they haven't had very many good memories in the last decade or so. So, uh, you know, that was, you know, a moment in time that, that Jet fans can, you know, be happy about. And, and ultimately, that's what they want to be. You know, they want to win a Super Bowl, but in, in, in lieu of winning a Super Bowl, you want to have moments that you can talk about with your friends and remember fondly. And, you know, that was one of them.
3: Manish, Rex would go about beginning to remake the Jets in his image, and we'll get to some of the player acquisitions in a bit. But first, I want to talk about the coaching staff. It was an interesting mix here because we talked about how Brian Schottenheimer and Bill Callahan had both interviewed for the head coaching position and didn't get it. Well, they stick around much the same way that Rex did after John Harbaugh got the job over him with the Ravens. So Callahan sticks around as assistant head coach and offensive line coach. Schottenheimer stays as offensive coordinator. Mike Westhoff stuck around. ...as the special teams coach, and Bob Sutton actually accepted a demotion. He had been defensive coordinator under Eric Mangini. Now he was going to be the linebackers coach, and then Rex brought some of his boys with him. He brought Mike Pettin to be the defensive coordinator. Pettin had been his right-hand man in Baltimore. Dennis Thurman to coach the secondary, and Dennis Thurman is well-known for being quite the character. There are a lot of stories about him. Jeff Weeks, who is a longtime friend of Rex and Rob Ryan, going all the way back to their college years, he comes in as... As an assistant, so this is a really interesting staff here, including, by the way, the aforementioned John D. Filippo, who is here as an assistant quarterbacks coach. So, talk to me about the assembling of this staff. This was really fascinating. How it was more or less a complete mix of guys who had already been here that Rex decided to keep around, and guys that Rex brought with him from Baltimore.
2: Yeah, I thought the the, the two key pieces uh, right off the jump. Uh, were Mike Westhoff, retaining Mike Westhoff. Uh, Rex never had to worry about that component of his team. Westy had that, uh, you know, on lockdown. Mike Westhoff's, frankly, one of the smartest coaches I've ever been around. Uh, It's a shame, to be honest with you, that he never became a head coach. Uh, There was a stigma, Uh, and, and even to this day, you know, there's a stigma about special teams coaches. You know, we mentioned John Harbaugh getting the job. We've already talked about Joe judge, also a special teams background, uh, getting in a head coaching opportunity, but there's a lot of smart special teams coaches who never got an opportunity to be a head coach. And, and Mike Westhoff is one of them because you could sit down with Westoff, talk football, uh, for days on end. And he was so smart and he had command of the room, uh, you know, you talk about leadership qualities. That guy is oozing with leadership qualities. And I, and to have him on the staff was so important to Rex. that He didn't have to worry about special teams, but, but Westoff was also a, a really good-sounding board, uh, a guy that Rex respected immensely, as he should have, given Westoff's long track record with the Dolphins uh, and with the Jets. Uh, I thought that was critical. And then Bob Sutton, you talked about him taking the motion. That's, that's really who Bob Sutton is. Bob Sutton, to me, was so invaluable to Rex Ryan, that, uh, Mike Patton, that entire defensive staff, uh, because he had been a coordinator. Uh, he was so well respected. He was a guy that Rex would bounce ideas off of a guy that uh, would take a lot of ideas from and uh, just a steady, eddy type of guy. Uh, you know, some people would say boring. Uh, you know I had a million discussions with uh, him through the years with Sutton through the years and uh you know he would barely crack a smile, but he was a good he he was a good solid football coach with a, a with a library of information that rex uh, used to his advantage and so those two guys that I thought were you know, the rocks uh, of that of that staff uh, you know, just because day to day Rex really Got so much out of working with Bob Sutton, and uh, and uh, and he didn't have to worry himself at all uh, on the special team side of it because of West off uh, the Brian Schottenheimer marriage was interesting. It really was because they had a lot of success in those first two years. Uh, Rex wanted to have that that run first mentality, that ground and pound philosophy, as he called it. Uh, I know that Schottenheimer really liked to throw the ball, <laughs> uh, which is which is interesting because you know things of kind of uh, flipped uh, over the course of a decade because the last two years, Brian Schottenheimer has been the offensive coordinator for one of the most successful running teams in the NFL in Seattle. Uh, But uh, yeah, they had, you know, they had their ups and downs. I think they had a fair, like a healthy amount of respect for each other. uh, And we can get into, you know, their relationship as the years went on before Schottenheimer parted ways with the team after 2011. But, uh, but when I look at that staff, you know, Westoff doesn't jump off the page. You know, as you mentioned, Mike Pettin was an invaluable resource to Rex, a guy that he trusted implicitly in Baltimore, a guy that he gave more and more play calling responsibility to uh, after that first year. Uh, so having that, you know, that, that guy by your side was very important. Uh, you mentioned Dennis Thurman. Uh, yeah, Dennis Thurman was an interesting guy. <laughs> he was an interesting guy, a uh, really good player. Uh, for the Cowboys as, as a DB with the Cowboys, but just you know another guy that Rex trusted that he brought brought along. Uh, we didn't even talk about Anthony Lynn, uh, who came over. He was the the he was with the Cleveland Browns for uh, a few years prior to that, and uh, and as you saw, you know he got he finally got an opportunity to be a head coach. Uh, Rex uh, promoted Anthony Lynn to assistant head coach uh, during his tenure, and then brought him along to Buffalo, and then made him his. Offensive coordinator after firing Greg Roman, I believe, like toward the mm-hmm. end of one of one of his one and a half seasons in Buffalo. So, uh, you know, Anthony Lynn was another guy that Rex really trusted. So, yeah, it was an interesting it was an interesting staff. Uh, uh, Matt Cavanaugh is another guy that Rex brought from Buffalo. Uh, he'd been the coordinator, I believe, in Buffalo. The the team, I believe, he was the co- I mean, I'm sorry, in Baltimore, I believe Cavanaugh was the coordinator. For that team that went to the Super Bowl, I remember thinking that that was the team that went through this big offensive drought where they didn't score a touchdown for like two months, and it didn't matter because uh, the defense was so good, and they ultimately you know, won a Super Bowl. So yeah, uh, you know, it, it's always fascinating to me uh, what a first-year head coach does in terms of installing his staff, because the staff is is so critical. You obviously need the right guy to be the face of your franchise, to be the leader of your franchise, but... That can only go so far because if you don't assemble the right staff, uh, you're not going to be successful. And that's why you do see turnover, you know, from time to time, uh, from year one to year two, because head coaches who are, you know, in that position for the first time are kind of feeling out the process. Sometimes guys that they want aren't available because they're under contract on other teams. So they got to dip uh, into their, you know, second, third, maybe even fourth options. But, uh, but this was a really good staff. Uh, you know, there was turnover after this first season as well, but this was a solid staff, obviously, because, uh, you know, they, they did some good things. Uh, and we didn't even mention <laughs> – we, we don't have to get into it. We didn't mention that their strength and conditioning coach was Salalosi ah. who yes. was involved in that, uh, that infamous, uh, you know, wall-tripping incident, uh, uh, you know, a little later. But uh, it, it, was a, it, it was a good group. It was a solid group of coaches, and uh, I think everyone played their part. Uh, I, I think you know in 2009, uh, you know those key components were Mike Westoff and Bob Bob Sutton.
3: That's going to wrap up part one of our multi-part look back at the Rex Ryan years, all the highs and lows through the eyes of Manish, covering the stories. On the beat, a lot of juicy tidbits coming your way, including a lot of stories that Manish has been holding on to that he's never told before. So this is going to be a really fun series. In the meantime, make sure that you're reading Manish in the Daily News. If you haven't had a chance to give us a five-star review on iTunes, really appreciate it if you could. It doesn't cost you any money. It doesn't take you much time. But if you enjoy the show and you're looking for an easy way to help out, that's the perfect way to do it. And for the latest and greatest in New York Jets podcasts, you know where to go. That's Turn on the Jets Digital and TurnOnTheJets.com.
1: Okay, round two.
0: Name something that's not boring.
2: A laundry? Ooh, a book
1: club. Computer solitaire, huh?
0: Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. <laughs>